0: Money FM 89.3. Best of drive time. The Washington Report. Money FM 89.3, three. It is drive time. Elliot Danker and Chuan with you. Time now to take a look at headlines out of the United States. We've got U.S. President Joe Biden nearing the end of a trip to India and Vietnam for a series of high-profile meetings. All this aimed at countering China's influence in the developing world. Now, during his visit to Delhi, uh, Mr. Biden attended the G20 summit under India's presidency and held a bilateral meeting with Prime Minister Narendra Modi. Now, while in Hanoi, President Biden is set to meet with uh, General Secretary Nguyen Fu Trong and other key leaders to discuss ways to further deepen cooperation between the United States and Vietnam. So let's find out more about implications and where these meetings could go with uh, Trisha Craig, Vice President, Engagement and Senior Lecturer of Social Sciences, Sociology and Political Science at Yale and U.S. College. Trisha, good afternoon. How are you? Hi there, I'm well and it's nice to be back. Yep, it has been a while and in this time, lots have happened, especially where U.S. President Joe Biden is concerned. So let's first of all talk about the G20 summit. I mean, I believe there was a defense deal being discussed, um, Mm -hmm. support for Ukraine. For you, Trisha, at a glance, what stood out for you the most?
1: A couple of things, okay. so for me, I think the the biggest takeaways one is is the sort of images right the right. image of Biden with the leaders of india saudi arabia Jordan. All of the countries that are part of the kind of the non-aligned or the global south, this is a place where there's been speculation that China is really trying to sort of be the leader of that block. And I think mm. those images really sort of showed Biden saying, no, these are our friends. So that's one. Um, second is you mentioned the, um, the statement on Ukraine. Mm. I think it was really important that the G20 put that statement out. It might not have been as strong as last year's. It doesn't condemn Russia. But to leave the summit without such a statement, I think it would have opened up This is the summit being a failure. And then the third thing, and we can talk about this if you want, the announcement of a new rail and sea corridor between India, Middle East and Europe. Mm. I think that's pretty big.
0: Yeah. I mean, like it or not, in this game that's being played, the political game, that is, it's all about the imaging and the positioning, right? So in your opinion, do you think the U.S. got what it wanted, you know, by heading to New Delhi?
1: I think this was a pretty big win for the U.S. as well as for India. Okay. You know, so one of the things that that we know is that the leaders of China and Russia decided not to attend. I think that absence, particularly of Xi Jinping, created an opportunity. Mm. And while the Indians may initially have been disappointed that that people stayed home, it allowed them to shine. And so where I think, you know, they and the U.S. really took advantage of this is... Okay a deal with India where they will help maintain and repair U.S. Navy vessels, more cooperation in nuclear energy, this rail and sea corridor. And I think, again, this idea that, you know, it, it really allowed Biden to sort of show off his administration's attachment mm. to many of his allies in the region.
0: All right. Trisha, this is sort of a personal curiosity because I'm not a U.S. citizen, obviously. How do such things play out domestically in the United States when you consider that President Biden's got a re-election bid next year um, so these images of international standing that the people that in America care does it help his case?
1: Honestly, no, <laughs> I, we'll um,
0: I, I kind of expected that,
1: <laughs> you know, to some extent it will become part of the narrative that okay. the U.S. Okay. is standing up to China, which people care about. But the election is about domestic politics. Mm. What people want to know is how is the economy doing? How much am I paying for stuff, especially, you know, gasoline? Do I feel secure in my job? How confident am I in the future? That's what that's what presidential elections are about. Unfortunately, not foreign policy.
0: When we look back on the G20 at this point, right, as we have this discussion, do you think, you know, the the non-participants being uh, Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin, do you think they look back and, you know, is there a case of shoulda, woulda, coulda and how things would have played out differently if they were there?
1: Well, I think we have to separate those two. Okay. Okay. Putin was never going to come. He's under <laughs> an international arrest now, yeah, right? Yeah. So he's he's not he's not leaving Russia. But I think for Xi, it may have been a slight miscalculation because mm. what it did allow, what it allowed, particularly the U.S. to do, and India, which you know has not had great relationships with uh, with China, announcing this deal on shipping ports and rail routes. What they're what they're doing is they're linking India with the Middle East with Europe. Hopefully trade will be quicker and cheaper. They want to increase you know, economic cooperation. But I think besides that, one of the things that that agreement that was announced has mm. the possibility of doing is helping normalize relations between Israel and the Middle East. And that's been a big goal of the Biden administration. So really what Xi's absence did was yeah. kind of allow some things to push forward that the U.S. has been wanting that they may not have had.
0: It's kind of like you read my mind there because you mentioned the uh, rail and shipping corridor was something that stood out for you. So this obviously deals a major blow in terms of uh, China's global influence through that Belt and Road Initiative.
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, I think we can say, is this enough to counter the BRI? Obviously, you know, that's how it's being uh, positioned, the, I think, yeah, yeah. Uh, from the U.S. But is it? Is that really true? No. You know, the BRI is a big deal, but it has been losing steam lately. Mm-hmm. You know, the Chinese economy has slowed down. There's a lot of unhappiness in many of the countries that are participating in it because they feel like they're being too heavily indebted to China. And just before the G20, Italy's prime minister announced that she was thinking of pulling out of the BRI, which is important because they're the only European country in it. It's, it's not a done deal, but even saying that publicly is kind of prestige blow for the Chinese. So I think what this new initiative is doing is just kind of letting China know, look, this is not the only game in town.
0: Mm. And the rest of the world as well. Uh, Trisha, I want to talk a little bit about strategy with you here. Your thoughts on President Biden concluding his uh, G20 summit with a stop in Vietnam. That plus the fact that I I don't know if I'm thinking too much here. I mean, he was from that generation who would know all about the Vietnam War. Mm -hmm. Uh, is, Is there any significance? Am I reading too much into it?
1: No, I think this was I think this was a really important uh, uh, trip and a stopover in Vietnam. Um, As you say, he's the first the first time that he has actually been to to Vietnam. Um, Vietnam is hugely important for the U.S. It has become such a key manufacturing hub. So strategically for the U.S., which is trying to de-risk its supply chain from China, Vietnam has a big role to play. And I think for Vietnam, which has just announced, you know, in light of the in light of the visit that they are upgrading the U.S. to the highest diplomatic status alongside China and Russia. This is this is kind of a surprise announcement, Mm. Um, but it's also part of Vietnam's strategy to hedge against China. And I think in terms of, you know, the symbolism for for Americans in particular about the Vietnam War, one of the things that that we saw with um, Biden's visit is that he he paid a visit to a memorial Mm. in Hanoi Mm -hmm. that honors the late Senator from Arizona, John McCain, who okay, was yes. a really important Republican politician, mm-hmm. ran for ran for president. He was a close friend of of Biden's, mm-hmm. um, and he was also held for more than five years as a prisoner mm. uh, of the Vietnamese during during the war, and so I think that kind of symbolism of you know, a little bit of closure was quite important. Ah,
0: okay, that's one way of putting it. I am on the line right now with Tricia Craig, Vice President, Engagement, and Senior Lecturer of Social Sciences, Sociology, and Political Science at Yale NUS College. Tricia, sensitive topic uh, as I dive into a bit of U.S. politics, the fact that, and I've got two issues I want to talk about. So first, mm-hmm. U.S. Senator Mitch McConnell freezing up for a second time in public. Appearances, the graying of U.S. leaders, sparking concern. I mean, is 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 this really a problem? Because I'm a young youngish guy. I freeze up in public sometimes too. <laughs>
1: You know, I think I think, again, we're talking about political symbols. Of course, um, of this course. has this has become, I think, a, a big issue for Americans and it has sort of burst into the American consciousness, not just Mitch McConnell freezing up, which he's done, as you say, a couple of times. Mm. Diane Feinstein, the senior senator from California, she's 90. She's yes. had some severe health problems. Obviously, the issue of the two presumptive uh, candidates, Biden and yes. Trump, they're quite old. And, you know, when we have also the graying of the Senate. So I think people are really asking, you know, can, first of all, how much does your cognitive ability uh, change when mm. you get past 80? Um, but also, how much are you really paying attention to the kinds of issues that affect all Americans?
0: Right. Okay. Fair point. Uh, wow. This looks like an hour's debate worth. But but definitely questions that are being asked as we head into the 2024 presidential election. Speaking of 2024, uh, former House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has said seek re-election to Congress. Well, she's she's quite an iron lady. But what do you, what are your thoughts on this?
1: You know, again, again, I think we have this issue of uh, of age. She is not going to have any trouble, I don't think, with her re So mm-hmm. we can say that we're concerned with age. But, I mean, we also have to take into account the realities of, you know, districts and things like that. She's extremely powerful. She has a tremendous ability to raise money. Mm-hmm. No Democrat is going to be able to successfully primary her. And she comes from one of the bluest districts in California. She, her last opponent got 11 percent of the vote. Mm-hmm. But having said that, with that kind of a district – Honestly, the party can afford for her to retire without fear of losing the seat. And so it really does, as much as I admire her you know, long career, it does seem she, like more and more politicians kind of don't know when to call it a day.
0: Yeah, fair point. Although, you know, it's, it's an entire service, right? Your whole life. I mean, yeah. again, we could, we could spend an hour on this. In the interest of time, Trisha, I just, I want to wrap up with uh, a big thing that's happening in the United States this week. I believe from tomorrow, uh, Google and the Justice Department uh, set for an antitrust showdown. So the U.S. versus Google, this case billed as the most significant antitrust trial of the modern internet age, uh, the fight against big tech. Um, what are your thoughts on this and where do you see this going?
1: So this is part of, I think, a kind of history of tech giants and their dominance and Mm -hmm. what the government has to say about it. The government often gets nervous when new technologies become dominant and there's a transition from one type of computing to another. So throughout the 70s, there was the antitrust case against IBM, which was the largest computer manufacturer at the time. Then in the late 90s and early 2000s against Microsoft and then and then now with Google I think there's always the fear that the dominance of these tech giants will prevent competition and stifle innovation and for Right now we are in a in a new era, right? We're transiting yeah. our computing and AI is the sort of place that this transition is heading. So yeah. there's quite a there's quite a lot at stake. You know, when the government thinks about the next generation of computing, AI has all kinds of implications for national security, healthcare, et cetera. They are worried that Silicon Valley Giants are gonna dominate it. Slow innovation. And I think the feeling is that's not good either for consumers or U.S. global competitiveness and standing in the world.
0: Well, we're going to watch out for how this case develops. I've been speaking with Tricia Craig, Vice President Engagement and Senior Lecturer of Social Sciences, Sociology and Political Science for Yale and College. Tricia, as always, I appreciate your time. Take care and have a great week ahead.
1: Thanks. You too. Great to chat.
0: To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg.